I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Rugby, rugby, weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello everybody and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here with you as always. I've been asked by our co-producer Brian to point out that this podcast is also available on YouTube if you're some kind of freak. I don't know. Uh, Those are my words, not Brian's. But you can watch us and uh, we do appreciate if you are tuning in through that particular medium. Hello to everybody at home uh, through the conventional earbud method as well, I guess. Joining us as always to discuss... What have we? Monster Ulster, Orkis Snyman, uh, Jared Payne's departure, loads more. It'll become apparent. Salary caps in the URC is Bernard Jackman firstly. Birch, how are you? Good, thank you. Good, lots to talk about again. Yeah, there's absolutely loads. I couldn't be bothered listing it all out. It's in the description anyway, if you need it. And delighted to say that he passed his return to podcasting protocols, having nearly had the head taken clean off him by Johan van Gran on RT on Saturday night. Murray, you look... Fairly sprightly for a fellow who was told pretty much go fuck yourself on national television. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I suppose it's all in the game, isn't it? I suppose that's the role you're in. And um, yeah, no grudges on this this end. Um, yeah, it was a good game in the end. Obviously enjoyed being down there. It was miserable conditions, but fair play to Munster. Uh, there was a lot of bad mood around the place. And they obviously had tough circumstances but they rallied very well so yeah all good here Gav how are you super thanks we'll dive straight into that game because we've got about an hour we won't dwell on this too long obviously yourself and Owen too and Murray discussed it on Monday as well for the 42 members and members can go back and check that out uh I'll start with yourself Bert we haven't heard from you on it on this pod um how did Munster actually win that game with 14 men and why did Ulster not win it I suppose more pertinently um I think Munster won it because Tyke Byrne just pulled the worldly out. He just took the game by the scruff of the neck and became the dominant player on the field, uh, won crucial turnovers. And in fairness to Munster, um, they started to play with a little bit more tempo and got some of their forward, got some of their powerful ball carriers over the gain line. And when they do that, they look really good. And that's why I think um, it's so frustrating when they when they just try and box clever the whole game. I, I think when they do pick up the pace, they have so much more potential. Um, Tom Ahern won some great line-out uh, steals at key moments. But Ulster as well. Like Ulster need to take, uh, I think, a big amount of blame for, for losing the game, that they just became too conservative. I don't know what, what the lads said on Monday, but um, I just thought Munster tried to just close it out from way too early um, and didn't try and exploit that extra man and, and played a game that's alien to them because in fairness to Ulster, they are a team who who moved the ball and if they had done that, I, I, I don't think Munster could have could have won the game. I mean, to lose a guy that early, um, you know, in the game and the game would evenly match in terms of talent, uh, I, I think generally that the team of 15 men win and but Ulster just played a, a stop-start game which allowed Munster... Make it a set piece game, make uh, a close breakdown game, and yeah, fair play to Munster. They they found a way to win, which was which is brilliant. And the youngsters again, I mean, I just wish we could see more of them. You know, uh, every time they get a chance, um, they they show what they're capable of. And um, yeah, I, I believe the selection this week is is gone back towards being a more conservative type selection. But um, I I just love to see more of likes of Hodnett, Kendellan, Ahern, etc. Um, because I just think they have got so much potential. Murray, watching it back, I kind of couldn't decide as to whether Ulster played into Munster's hands to an extent, or did Munster just defend really well? Probably a little bit of both, which I hate, but um, as Bert, as Birch says, had they actually expanded themselves a little bit, that should have been on the table for them a win there. Yeah, I think Ulster did play into their hands and strategically in the second half got it wrong, to be honest. They're, they're still leading heading into the kind of end game, I suppose, and they were probably a little over-focused on trying to exploit this space potentially vacated by Simon Zebo through their kicking game. You can think of a number of instances where they actually do find a bit of space in the left-hand side of the backfield and they pressure them that way, but they didn't really have those strikes with ball in hand with tempo. And obviously conditions, as I said, were extremely difficult, but it was really fascinating for me that Munster's winning try was a really fluid and um, 
excellent bit of attack really from from out the field you think of Jack O'Donoghue's offload to Mike Haley allowing him into a one-on-one situation which is what every back wants dummies and darts gets over the gain line that way then you can allow your link passing to come in Finneen literally plays out the back to Rory Scannell links to Gavin Coombs who's got that brilliant offloading ability as we know He's a real leader in, in that area. And he flicks the ball away to Josh Witcherly one-handed. And, and they're really in behind Ulster. They're scrambling at this stage. Jack O'Donoghue beats what is a, obviously a soft double miss tackle. But that's what happens when you shift teams around the pitch and, <clears throat> and force them to make a lot of tackles, which Munster did pr- prior to that throughout the game. The tackle count was massively uh, slanted towards Ulster, making a lot of tackles. Even the passage before halftime contributed to that missed tackle, I think, on O'Donoghue in the end. And it's just a brilliant passage. They obviously finish it off. There's a bit of a kind of lucky bounce up to Ken uh, Kendellen, but they had earned that score, I think, through the, the fluidity of their attacking play. So that was a really good lesson, I think, as well for Munster that we always talk about. Getting that balance in their game is really pivotal. And moving the ball, those two passes initially, allows Haley to, to get that gain line and get them going forward. Brilliant to see Craig Casey as well. Probably learning from even in the first half in that game when they were pummeling that Ulster try line. I think if they moved the ball a little bit earlier out to Haley actually on the, the left-hand side in that instance before halftime they would have scored and on that occasion where they did score Casey um, has the bravery and the, the technical quality to make that pass one that was picked off by Kieran Marmion the week before obviously against Connacht uh, albeit in a, a different circumstance defensively so good to see Munster learning that way but I think Ulster will look at it as, a, as they should a huge blown opportunity you've got a red card in the 15 minute and you kind of go away from what makes you the team you are you've got to, again have that balance you've got to kick sometimes but I think they probably um, just lost sight of what they really are themselves first before we move on from the game Simon Zebo escaping further punishment for that red card uh, what are your thoughts yeah I read that um, the, the the panel felt that he wasn't the first prior to contact that when I read of it, it seems as if they felt Jack Crowley should have been uh, sent off, um, and yeah, it's just it's just amazing. Uh, it's amazing the whole the whole way it unfolded. I mean, in fairness to to the TMO, he talked Mike Adamson into giving a, a red card. I think Mike Adamson was going to was going to go for a yellow. You know, I certainly felt the contact um, point meant the red card was was applicable um but then to get it wrong and the wrong player um is is pretty frustrating obviously you know they said they had looked at all the camera angles potentially there was another angle that which which a tmo and, and adams didn't get to see which made it clear in fairness to the angles i saw on tv i did think zebo had made contact as well so i'm uh it's a very very um difficult one to decipher um but if he didn't make contact as we're led to believe um i think it's fair that they've they've overturned it and he he gets to play this weekend i mean um that's what that panel is for they can do things in the um in the cold light of day um with obviously more angles and listen to different points of view so um, even though it's not great for Mike Adamson um, point of view I think if that's the right call um, and as I said I think they have seen they must have seen footage that we didn't see on the night What were your thoughts on the Yeah I was surprised at the panel decision to be honest I thought it was the right call on the night um, they say it was minimal contact there absolutely must be a different angle because looking back and again this morning I still can't really make sense of that in fact at the time I'm kind of thinking both these players could go here not even potentially Reds but maybe one to the bin um, and I did still think there was a bit of force in it. Uh, so I have to say I was surprised at the decision and it's, I suppose, just another illustration of like the disconnect between referees on the pitch and these um, disciplinary panels after the fact. It happens all the time with red cards even being overturned or, um, yeah, there's loads of different instances of it. Even think of Brad Shields um, and it's happening an awful lot. So there's that kind of disconnect. But I have to say in this, in this instance, I was surprised. I thought it was a, a red card. Yeah, I thought it were, there were two red cards really uh, but Bert you know the disconnect to which Murray alludes there how much of that without wanting to disappear down this rabbit hole yeah, we have we lo- loads to talk about but uh, how much of that comes down to the fact that there's almost a, a de facto legal battle going on behind the scenes I mean these these panels are pressurised too right yeah these panels are pressurised um, and following the right process and any little loophole that the player or the player's representatives can can find um, in terms of the process being followed will be exploited. Also, to be honest, I think you know, they're not day-to-day referees as well. So um, sometimes there are people 
from the past uh, in terms of not being close to the modern game on the panels and they do you know they give up their time and, and it's, it's a it's a very important part of the game but i just wonder how in touch they are with with how difficult it is to to make these decisions or you know that 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 side of it you know sometimes they haven't come from a refereeing background as well so i just think yeah it's 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 something that we can talk about for an hour and another day when there's not enough uh enough proper content to talk or sorry more immediate content but it's it's definitely not it's definitely not perfect oh we will talk about it for an hour i, have, day, probably, I, I, I know probably i'll tell you about soon. the french the french uh sighting system is uh, there's two there's two pods in that <laughs> beautiful i love that teaser sticking with monster for a moment murray loads of contract extensions during the week obviously Snyman being the headline name uh i was i was actually a little bit surprised i was still under the impression that he was kind of out the gap to be honest i'm wondering are you the same or had it filtered through that maybe he was likely to stay yeah the initial sense certainly even from within monster was that he would be exiting at the the end of the season and, and actually from what i understand that was one of the frustrations that johan van gran had that he may not be recontracted that the finance might not be there again a second time around given his injuries which probably was understandable but it seems to have have um completely changed in the last number of weeks or whatever that period of negotiation has been i personally think it's a great move from both sides actually like Munster aren't going to make this move unless their medical team, who are extremely qualified, obviously more so than any of us, have clearly stated this guy is going to get back to full fitness. So obviously there's all sorts of things that can happen on a rugby pitch. Anyone can be injured at any stage, but I think they're pretty confident in that happening. When he does get back to his best, he's one of the best second rows in the world. He's a game changer. We know that. Probably don't even need to go into it again. Plus you've got this connection that he's built with the province now where he definitely feels he needs to repay their faith. And from what I understand, he's actually taken quite a hefty cut on his contract. There may be bonuses built in to get back, back to where he was in the last couple of years. But he could have gone a- abroad. And I think Bath was one of the clubs who, who were interested and spoke to him and earned more money than he's actually going to earn on his base salary in Munster for the next two years. But he genuinely feels a connection to the province now and wants to, yeah, as, as I said, kind of repay the confidence they've shown in him. So I think there's going to be a, a massive bond there. And the fact that it's a two-year as well, rather than just another year, gives him a chance to really grow in into the, the the team and be a leader there as well. Which, by all accounts, off the pitch, he has become more so. Even the fact that he's not playing, he's still around the squad, really popular, and has made a home in Limerick as well. So I'm seeing a lot of positives to this deal. And I think that connection that they've had with Snyman, albeit with only four appearances, could be really something special going forward. And for whoever is coming in as the director of rugby and head coach, or whatever, whatever's confirmed. Like, what a player to have. It's really exciting. And um, as you say, loads of good contract news across the board. So there's loads of nice pieces there for the next people in. Birch, you said in your Sindo column in October, I believe, that you felt this was a good idea. This was the right approach for both province and player. But were you surprised when you heard the news during the week? Yeah, I was, but I'm delighted. Um, I, I did feel in October it was the right thing to do. Uh, players like RG, um, they're incredibly difficult to get. Um, allegedly, Munster have to knock around a million off their off their budget, um, and you know I think that you're getting a guy who has bought into the place, incredibly popular. There's no doubt he can play. He just needs to get a, a running game. So I think he, he can be a match winner for Munster. So I think in some ways there's less of a gamble by keeping him, given that he's obviously settled. Um, than maybe signing someone else who you've got to integrate into the squad, integrate into the locality, get their family settled. And there's also the injury risk as well. So I, I'm massively in favour of it. Just on the other signings, and it's maybe something that uh, people don't think about and, and it sounds really positive, but in my experience over the last 25 years is, is sometimes when the head coach is leaving, it's a great opportunity for agents and players um, to capitalise on that sense of uncertainty and uh, often what clubs do is they try and create or they want to make sure that there's no speculation or focus on the board um that maybe things aren't in hand and they go out and sign re-sign loads of players um and sometimes that is a, is actually a bad thing because the the new dor the new head coach is going to come in and you go well like everybody's under contract or 90 percent under contract and these are the fellas who haven't actually brought success over the last five six seven eight nine years so either the coaching wasn't good enough or there isn't enough talent in the group or the culture's not right or whatever but you're going to have to and then normally what that dor will say is 
well, I need time to to put my own roster together, and you actually delay it. So, um, just something to think about. I'm not saying uh, I'm not casting aspirations on any of the uh, of the group of resign, but it's just something that has happened time and time again, where um, you know players who maybe aren't first choice, who aren't performing, or aren't certain, or or the, the previous head coach wasn't going to make them part of their plan, capitalize on that opportunity. I don't know if that makes sense. The other side of it is that some of those players who are being announced now actually signed when Johan van Gran was set to stay for two yeah, years. But again... Like, some of this stuff happens ages ago before they announce it. And I suppose that kind of changes the dynamic for them in an interesting way. Does the new head coach want them there as much as you say? It is a fascinating one. I suppose, like, David News 4 is supposed to have oversight in all these, isn't he, Birch? In, in terms of, like, signing off on things, in terms of potentially raising a flag if he doesn't believe that a certain deal is warranted. So you've got that kind of union oversight as well or you would hope you do yeah, anyway absolutely and look at obviously we, the rumours around Fekitoa um, coming um, I did a bit of digging on that I think that's that's not done um, there's certainly apparently interest from a Munster point of view and that would clearly lead you to believe that Delande is not staying um, but I think to be honest what I hear is Fekitoa's first choice is to stay in Wasp but what the offer from Moss is is, is is pretty low at the moment. As they lowballed, you know, Vefatita, uh, who's uh, who's apparently going to Scarlets. Um, Moss and English Premiership clubs are under pressure to to get their cap, uh, get under the salary cap. Um, and the problem as well is that Fekitoa wants to play for Tonga um, now. So you know he was signed as a as an international who'll be there every week. And you know whoever signs him will probably lose him for for some of the World Cup cycle. So um, there's lots of different things to consider um, in terms of whether that signing makes sense um, and whether it's going to happen. Someone also sent me a clip of um, Fekitoa taking off Simon Zebo's head in that All Blacks match a couple of years back, which I'd actually forgotten about. So that'd be an interesting one on the training ground. <laughs> and he's also probably going to play against Ireland at the yeah. next World Cup as well with Tonga. So that'll be fascinating. Oh, I still think Zebo is dishing out a cruel... Uh some cruel behaviour towards Mike Lowry. He seems to always be involved in Lowry. We let Lowry a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah. Just you see the picture, the t- you see the picture that went around of, of Munster training where Zebo's hitting the tackle bag and he's hitting it like really high and went around <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> well, he tweeted a gif of Pablo Escobar in yeah, uh, Narcos. Yeah, free man. But, like, I mean, I presume he saw the end of that series, you know? I'd be... <laughs> <laughs> Just just a bit lower next time. Uh, come here. While we're on the topic of, say, squad building, um, some of Van Graan's gripes and so on, Murray, will we chat about Victor Matfield's comments? Will we give the audio a whirl for people at home who haven't heard them? Yeah. So just before we do so, if you weren't aware of it, um, Victor Matfield is a pundit on Supersport in South Africa. He was speaking uh, to Supersport about a recent conversation he'd had with Johan Van Graan. Um, in which Van Grand outlined to him why he was leaving Munster and why he felt as though Bath was maybe a better opportunity for him at this juncture in his career. Uh, there was nothing too explosive in it, to be totally honest, but worth a chat because it was put to Van Grand in the post-match presser, Murray, if I'm not mistaken, right? And because it was put to him as... Well, there have been tweets saying that Victor Matfield said he was able to dismiss it offhand, or not even on Twitter, when in reality it was an actual real-life conversation, but the the footage hadn't made its way to Ireland quite yet. Super Sport, to be fair to them, did publish it a a few days later. So uh, here's what Matfield had to say. It's about two minutes long. I spoke to um, Johan van Kroon, and for him it's very difficult. For him, his pack is very important. He starts far. So he brought in Adichius Neyman. Brought in Jenkins, as yeah. both of them out. So these two big South African guys that he yeah. thought was going to give him that power game, especially the way he wants yeah. to play, sure. it's not there. So he's missing those guys. So he's mm. not getting that go forward from that tight yeah. five that he was thinking he will get. So very difficult at the moment, and especially in these conditions. Mm. Uh, yeah. if it's a wet, so, like yeah. we've just seen, you can't really play a different style. You have to go to that power play good kicking game, mm. put the other team under pressure and play off the scraps. Mm. Well, well, you spoke to Johan. Talk to <coughs> us, the move to Bath. Yeah, he's excited. excited yeah? Look, he feels bad because he really enjoyed his time in, at Munster. Uh, he loves the people there, but he said it's very difficult. He said with all the great players goes to Leinster. So he has mm. to compete. He comes second in every competition, but he doesn't win trophies. Leinster got this amazing team. They've got 14 of the 16s. And again, financially, he's trying to get the guys from outside to make a difference. Mm. But the local players, most of them go to Leinster. So it's very hard. Going to Bath, 
you will get opportunities to build a squad. And that's what he likes. He wants to build a squad, get people in, get something for a long four, five, six years and build something amazing. And Vic, you, you brought this and, and I can't let it slide. <laughs> There's a South African guy, which you've known as a young coach, been on the national side. When you speak to him now, is there growth yeah. from the front front? So, so what, what growth there is? I mean, no. it's exciting. Every time we, we, we always highlight the mm. SA players overseas. Yeah. And there's a young coach who's mm. been overseas, took on a, a big job, did well. And in the last couple of months or so, it's kind of declined. When you speak to him, what's the growth that is in terms of coaching? I think he, he gets a lot from how Ireland run the whole yeah. system ah, as well. Good. So um, he's almost under... The yeah. director of Irish rugby. He actually controls yeah, everything. Sephora, yeah. Understand? Yeah. So he controls everything. And then he's now with his union. And then, of course, as well, he got some great coaches with him. Mm. Got mm. great, experienced English coach. Got um, Larkham at 10 as a different style. So, yeah, he's grown a lot. And um, I think for him, I think he's one of the great young coaches in South Africa that will come back at some stage and hopefully coach the Springboks. So, Mario, I don't know, it felt like a bit of a storm in a teacup to me, but what was most noteworthy about it, I suppose, is that we learned more from Victor Matfield as to why Van Grant has decided to leave Munster than we've learned from Van Grant. And I, I thought when you read between the lines, it was pretty... It, uh, I wouldn't call it transparent necessarily, but it kind of feels pretty obvious as to why he's made the decision now, doesn't it? Yeah. I, first of all, I'd say I'm kind of so pissed off at Victor Matfield just for talking about their private conversation on the biggest platform in South African media. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe he, he said go on and say it. But um, yeah, it is pretty like clear reasons that many of us have kind of cited. Like, you know, <clears throat> it is different when you've, uh, via a second-hand account, hear it coming from the coach in terms of, I suppose, justifying the style of play, saying that he's missed Snyman and Jenkins and that hasn't allowed them to play the power game and that, as Victor Matfield says, they're not getting the go forward from the tight five that he was thinking he could get, which is something that, you know, Birch has mentioned a, a few times. So it's not exactly breaking news, as as you say. The Leinster thing, I think there's a bit of lost in translation there. You can read the quotes again if you need to on the 42. But I think he's pointing out just to their sheer dominance and how that makes his life more difficult and how he's probably been judged against that and it's such a, a, a high marker to come up to and then I suppose the RFU thing as well like Van, Gra- Van Gran and Nusifor from what I can understand have had a really strong relationship over the years and like Nusifor is the one who recontracted him that, like that's something we can't forget in this those hires are Nusifor's to make he's the one giving out that new two year deal as well so I don't think it was actually a a, sh- a shot at his frustration there more so probably something that he learned I do think the stuff around the, the style of play is a little bit revealing in terms of saying you know I couldn't have done done anything more I that was my sense of it certainly of, of how I read it but I wouldn't really agree with that as, I, as we've been harping on I think Munster could get more out of the excellent players they have and that it didn't just have to be a, about a power game so yeah a little bit of extra layers to it and maybe more of an explanation than Johan van Graan himself has given you know he said the last day as you mentioned the post-match or pre-match interview that he kind of given his reasons but we actually don't really know do we it's been quite wishy-washy in terms of what he said and um, maybe this was a bit more revealing from Matfield Bert you've been in the situation I'm sure where you've divulged information to a fellow professional um how would you have felt? <laughs> We're going to reveal all your secrets here, Bray. Oh, I'm never telling Victor Matfield anything. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> obviously, I think that was just a general... They were obviously close. I mean, um, he coached Victor, worked with him. Um, and it sounds to me it was just one of those, you know, phone calls, well done, and it's going to bat, you know. And he obviously, you know, had a little bit of a, a moan. And, you know, Victor... Victor decided to go on air with it, not knowing it would get picked up. But yeah, I think that you like to, you, look at either either he either Johan thinks that every player you know produced in Leinster is local to Munster, or uh, it was lost in translation. But I think that's the one that's jumped out. That, like the best local Munster players aren't going to Leinster. Like realistically, you know, the the young talented Munster isn't going to Leinster. Um, so either that was lost in translation, or he he's frustrated with the fact that he's not able to get the best local Leinster players to go to Munster, which is an interesting one. So, uh, look at that. Look, at, they would have been speaking in Afrikaans. Um, you know, maybe it was lost in translation. But for me, for me, I, look, at, there's no surprise Johan is a conservative coach who who wants that power game. That's why he obviously went for Jenkins ahead of 
a front row. Um, RG obviously Damien like they're power players uh, I, I still I'm 100% sure that even if those two played they would be able to mix it with the best um, like we talk about Leinster and Ireland you know having been able to play that power game but it's Porter it's Furlong it's 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 Kelleher there's a number of them you know what I mean um, and I just don't know if Munster ha- even with Jenkins and RG Snyman can afford to be all about you know direct power game I think they need to have more subtlety to it but look at um, he's, he might get Jenkins back he won't get RG back for the end of the season so maybe maybe they'll they'll prove us wrong um, and I hope they do Just jumping back to Ulster then lads um, Jared Payne another high profile departure which was confirmed a little bit more recently there really seems to be a, a sense of well pain for want of a better term at, at losing him up there uh, just speaking to fans speaking to a, a couple of people involved in the periphery um, Murray, can you give us an, uh, a sense of how big a loss he will be to uh, Dan McFarlane and co? He's adapted really well to coaching. Always a very intelligent rugby player and a brilliant defender, obviously. Incredible at reading the game. Was massively missed in that Argentina quarterfinal in 2015 when obviously Argentina just shredded Ireland in the opening quarter of that game where his nous and communication was missed. So it wasn't a huge surprise he went into the coaching side after being forced to retire. And by all accounts from from Ulster's players, has had a really good impact there, has really embraced, um, I suppose, creating a culture around their defence. Technically, he's been excellent with individual players. Someone like James Hume, you can see the growth of him even week to week, really, with Ulster and the reads he's making. So, yeah, absolutely, I lost him. He's going to have an exciting coaching future. We'd imagine he's still only in his mid-30s, <clears throat> could probably still be playing realistically. Um, and it says he's going off to pursue another opportunity. I'm not, I haven't heard anything in regards to where that might be, but definitely exciting future for him. It means a little bit more upheaval in, in Ulster's coaching team again and, and going out and recruiting, which is never ideal. You want that continuity, as we've discussed, with, with relation to other provinces. But this is, I suppose, the reality of, of the coaching world. Things change and opportunities come up everywhere. Um, all the time and, and people jump at them so yeah they'll, they'll find someone else to, to replace him but he's had a really good start to his, his coaching career and has had a real success of coming to Irish rugby and has given a huge amount to it as well so um, he deserves credit for, for his career over here yeah he's going to Bath I think um, <laughs> I don't, don't quote me <laughs> on that no, Bir- Birch- yeah I think um, he'll, be, he'll be in Claremont um, in the top 14 and I think um, it's a great stepping. It's a great next step for him. I mean, he came to Ireland to play, um, and you know, I think he's done a great job at Ulster. He was part of. He presented to that coaching group I had in COVID, and we had great presenters: Joe Schmidt, um, Jamie Joseph, etc. But of the two young coaches who presented, the two ones who were most impressive were D. Walt Senegal is now in Connacht, and and Jared Payne, and and I think he he blew us away with. Um, how he built a defence and how he built an attitude, uh, how he communicated with with us and with players. So um, I think he's a he's a coach with a really bright future. And and I think, um, yeah, I think it's you know he's he's given Ireland he's given Ireland a really good go, you know. And um, I think an opportunity to coach in the top fourteen. Obviously, he'd know John pretty well. Um, they're trying to build something. Claremont's a super club, so um, I think I wouldn't. I think it's an it's a natural progression for for someone like him, to be honest. But it feels like defence coaches, no more so than attack coaches, tend to have their own identity or their own ideology as to how a team should defend. So if you were in Ulster's shoes at the moment, or if you were working within that organisation, are you looking for somebody to replace Payne who has a similar approach to defending, or do you just tear it up and see who's the best candidate out there overall? I think it'd be good to have some continuity. I don't think you're going to get someone... It's very hard to get someone as as well-liked um, and as influential as him. Um, but certainly for McFarland, um, I, I, I'd say he's he would want someone who has similar philosophy around the game and, and try and get a personality as well to who's going to drive that, um, like like Jared did. But it's a it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one because um, you know he had a unique insight, having played in the backfield, um, having played thirteen, um, so he really could sympathise and understand you know the stresses of of defending. Um, and sometimes if you get a rugby league coach. You know, um, it's it, they're learning the game on, on the go. Whereas I think Payne had a very good understanding of, of of the game, particularly. And actually, what he said to us was the biggest part of work he had to do was around 
around you know learning about rook defense rook chain and and the seam of the line out things where he wasn't involved but uh, he was certainly very happy with with you know how wings and if you look at someone like Balotelloun etc I mean to have someone like Jared there um, helping him develop I think uh, has been invaluable but it's a big it's a big position for Dan to fill because um, I, I do think he has been influential and I think um, you know Ulster need their coaches to really get every last percentage out of that team to to win silverware sticking with yourself looking ahead to that european clash then at the weekend between northampton saints and ulster we made the point a couple of weeks ago or was it three four weeks ago now when ulster were hosting northampton that northampton might be mentally checked out and they can often be banana skins difficult subconsciously to get up for that game no matter how well prepared you kind of feel as though you are this time around it's sort of similar but at the same time because they got a scare because they're going away from home which tends to galvanise a little bit more do you expect Ulster plus the backlash I suppose from Thomond to do a bit of a job on them this weekend? Yeah I think it's perfectly set up for Ulster there's going to be a lot of self-reflection on on the opportunity missed last weekend Um, they got a fright um, at home and uh, but yeah it's a winnable game it's kind of nearly the perfect scenario because uh, the Saints um, the Saints are beatable for for a team like Ulster Um, so yeah I'd expect them to be in a really good place mentally and and focus for this and do, do a job Murray give us a rough score Whew, I haven't thought about score. I think it'll be high scoring though. It'll be high scoring. Saints can play a bit of ball as well. They're facing their own upheaval with Chris Boyd heading off at the end of the season, obviously. The only thing with Ulster is more injuries. Like John Cooney's added to the ever-growing, it seems, injury list there of key guys like Henderson, McCloskey, loads of good players who are absent at the at the moment. Their injury list is really long, so it makes it even more difficult. On the flip side, you get Nathan Doak with another big chance and and what an exciting talent that we've we've spoken about a huge amount probably earlier in the season coming up to November tests and now it's a chance for him to kind of put his name back on the the radar I suppose so yeah I'd be I'd be along with Birch there in feeling you'll you'll get a bounce back from Ulster but they just don't want that up down trajectory all season we thought when they strung the the Leinster and the Claremont games together it was a launch pad then they had their COVID disruptions so now it's a case of of getting up to a high and, and kind of leveling off a little bit higher up than than dropping down again. Just a quick word on Munster going to cast then, Murray. Obviously very close to last day. Cast should be disinterested. But I don't know. Maybe we read a little bit too much into that. Because when guys get a chance that aren't playing regularly, sometimes they just want to put their hand up. They make it tough for you. So how do you see this one going for Munster in France? Yeah, I think they'll they'll win. But I do expect to be a very tough encounter. I remember being down there a few years ago when they lost. And it was, as always, ferocious. Like This rivalry is absolutely brilliant. I adored when Cocker came on again the last day and it started up straight away again, didn't it? The the back chat over and back. Uh, I don't know what he has against Munster, but he despises them and it's equally well matched. So I think it's going to be a ferocious, uh, badly tempered game again. Luke Pierce is in charge. He's going to have his hands full with that. And Cast are brilliant at making it a scrap and they really pride themselves on areas of the game that Munster probably do as well and around the mall, around the breakdown, around the combative side of the game. So... I can see a really ferocious contest here. I think Munster, with everyone back, I suppose, will have enough quality. I will be disappointed, though, if that that team sheet doesn't include some of those youngsters because, for me, purely on form and even on current ability, I think they should be in the squad. Like John Hodnett, I hope he's there. Kandelin has really earned his chance. As Bert said, Ahern impressed the last day again. So it's not like the young guys haven't... Younger guys, I should say, because some of them are, are coming towards their... Um, I, I suppose maturity now um, haven't earned a chance when they've been given it earned another chance so I'd love to see a nice blend in their squad and I think they should have enough quality yeah Birch in a word cast or Munster Munster just about but it'll be it'll be a horrible game to watch um, <laughs> get the watch watch the highlights the highlights for that on YouTube minutes, you should be doing the ads for uh, BT Sport Birch <laughs> no no I, I love just that's the game to dodge if you want to watch running rugby oh yeah I'd say Munster fans will love hearing you say that uh, I we're going to chat about cast. Munster obviously you know, they, they'll throw it around but cast disaster oh yeah yeah for sure yeah uh, we're going to chat about URC and salary caps in a moment for first a word from our sponsors. Let us make a record for my Lord. Let us make a record for my Lord. please. This is not soccer. This is not soccer. This is not soccer. Hello, members. Paul Dollery from The 42 here. I uh, hope you'll forgive this unceremonious interruption of the world's greatest rugby podcast. 
Well, I let you know that if you've got time in your weekly schedule for a bit of football chat as well, then a new episode of the Football Family podcast will now be available to you every Tuesday. We'll be exploring the main talking points surrounding Irish football, bringing you fresh interviews from a variety of guests and engaging insight from our regular panellists Gavin Cooney and David Sned. So if you fancy it, we'll speak to you next Tuesday. But for now, it's back to the rugby. Back you go and get on it again. So the Dragons chairman, David Buttress, has called for a salary cap in the URC just to give you a sense of what he was saying on the Good, the Bad and the Rugby podcast, which is a brilliant name. They put some real effort into the name, I feel. Missed opportunity for us, maybe, Mer, but Buttress was saying there should be a salary cap in the URC. I love watching the English Premiership because every week anyone can beat anyone. You don't know the outcome. The jeopardy is high in terms of who is going to win. If you want to create a league that's exciting every week, you can't have one side that's triple or double the wage bill because then you all know what the outcome is going to be. Creating an element of uncertainty around the outcome makes a great product in sport. That's why I love American sport because a different team can win the Super Bowl in any given year. Now, we were actually going to chat about this anyway, but the members WhatsApp group has been absolutely blowing up with requests to talk about it. And they were particularly interested in what you'd have to say about it, Birch, given where you've worked, given your knowledge of Welsh rugby and, and probably some of their views. So... I suppose off you go. Yeah, look at I, I. I really admire Dave Buttress. Um, I he was he came into the Dragon the same time I did, um, and I think we both got our eyes opened around um how difficult it's going to be financially to uh to put together um the type of environment or, or program we wanted to. And I admire him massively because he's still there. He's still fighting the good fight. And uh, I listened to that interview. And um, I think he speaks a lot of sense. It, it, his the biggest thing for me is is he is he spoke about how slowly things change in in rugby union, and how a lot of decisions are made by uh, out of compromise. And generally, when you get decisions made out of compromise, it's a rubbish decision. And I think people we need more people like him. And and uh, it's 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 something that the game needs. And fairness, we've had it before. But those people have walked away because either it cost them too much money or they got frustrated by the length of time it took to make decisions. And he built a technology company. He was a co-founder of Just Eat. So he started Just Eat when they were in a flat in, in London and he exited when he was 40 years of age and, and walked away with you know, with a, with a really significant return. And now he's involved in, in other tech startups across across the world. So he's, he's at the coalface of business and he's trying to bring a business mind um, to, to rugby. And it's... It's it's certainly very very slow, um, and but I, he's still in he's still as I said living the living the fight, which is brilliant. And he, I don't agree with him though about the dragons. And I look at when I was in the dragons, I was fighting for more money. So um, I totally accept that the Welsh regions need more investment. That's that's not the case. Um, my argument was was that we got a disproportionate amount of money from the WRU to the other regions, right? Um, and that's, uh, and had historically done so. So there was historical lack of investment. Um, uh, but also, I don't think that we should hamper teams who have invested in themselves, invested in facilities, invested in the infrastructure over the last 15, 20 years and bring them down to the lowest common denominator. I, that's not progress from, from my point of view. So yeah, could we have a more competitive URC if everyone's budget was six million, uh, David said the Dragons budget at the moment is around five million. Um, uh, if everyone was around six million, uh, uh, could it be more competitive? Of course it would, because Leinster would have to lose, you know, seven or eight of the best players. Munster would the same. Ulster would the same. But is that good for the league? No, I don't think so. And, and it's interesting. At the start of that interview, they had uh, Michael Yormack or Mark from Rock Nation who spoke about the way to build a game is is, is star players and uh, making them accessible and, and promoting them. So, you know, the reality is to, if you were to significantly uh, reduce the budget of every team in the URC, I think we would lose star players. And that's why the Premiership are now losing star players. So Fafita to, to Scarlets is a result of the cap to a certain extent. So um, I don't think it would help the, uh, the rest. I think what we need to do is each country um which is which is union controlled i and fairness to scots the scots have invested the scots glasgow and edinburgh have invested this year um in players and they're getting the results edinburgh top of the log at the moment i know there's you know uh, they mightn't finish there but they've they've done well uh glasgow are, are are much improved so i would say what the welsh regions need to do is 
is is get investment. I know it's very difficult because economically it's not the same landscape as uh, as Ireland. Um, but also, having said that, um, I mean, you know, uh, say the Leinster budget is ten million, which was mentioned earlier, and we don't know if that's a fact or not. But um, ten million to live in Dublin, uh, if you took ten percent off that of Leinster, um, you know, nine million in Munster would go as far as ten million in Leinster in terms of cost of living, etc. So there's lots of lots of different uh, variables, like you know, your cost of living in Wales is, is, is obviously a lot less. Um, but I do think, yeah, I, I, I agree with it. There's lots of things you made sense, absolute sense on not having fixture clashes with internationals, having your best players available for, for the big games, um, you know, better product, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I just don't see, I, I, I think the, the way forward is, and in fairness, David, you know, he's fighting with the, with, with uh, the WRU to get more investment into the regions because that, that, that absolutely makes sense. They've been labored with a 20 million, uh, pound debt because of COVID, which they're going to have to pay back over the next twenty years. So instead of actually having more resources, they have they have less due to COVID and have no real clear sight of how the funding model is going to work over the next four or five years. So it's very difficult to plan. Having said that, apparently they've signed JJ Hanrahan for for the next three years. So you know there's obviously some funds there to uh, to sign players, and they'll have two good tens with Sam Davies and 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 JJ, and I think that's a positive for them on the playing field. But um, yeah, so there's lots of, I, I I totally see where he's coming from, but having played uh, coaching in Grenoble, where you know there was a salary cap, we were never going to get near it. But even though obviously that was frustrating at times, that was our own fault. That was where we were as a club. Um, that was the sponsorship we had access to. That's the lack of success we've had historically. Um, so I certainly wouldn't be in favour of punishing teams who can get good sponsorship, who can get a lot of season ticket holders, um, you know, uh, who have a lot of players playing international rugby um, and have centralised contracts, etc. I, I, yeah, I don't I don't agree with that. Uh, I think what... And definitely look at it. David, David will... David um, is totally focused on trying to make the Dragon successful. So, of course, he has to f- try and find ways to make him successful. Um and I love the fact he's thrown these ideas out there uh, because he's a really creative guy. And I said he, he's putting his heart and soul into it. But uh, I, I certainly don't think that's the way forward for, for the URC. Uh, and also to, con- to actually manage it and control it and supervise it across across the different countries. I mean, we saw how hard it is to, to find an error in, in England, uh, in France, where... You know, you're dealing with one country, but uh, to have a cap that takes into account some players being paid in sterling, some players being paid in rand, um, you know, uh, different tax breaks, etc. I think it would be logistically impossible to to have to enforce. Plus, I actually don't think. I think the the answer is uh, find ways of investing um, more money, and in Wales, it's going to have to come from the union. It's not going to come from uh, from bums on seats. Yes, but obviously, if they could start to show a little bit of success. We all remember, you know, big crowds at Welsh rugby games. But the biggest issue there is that disaffection or uh, sense of disconnection between the region, the clubs, the schools, the villages, and the regions, which is another it's another podcast in itself. Yeah, we've got about three in the queue. Uh, Murray, come in there just on the concept of a salary gap in the URC. It, it obviously doesn't feel practical. Um, is there any other way around it other than? You just have to get your house in order by any means necessary. Yeah. I will answer that. Firstly, you said JJ to Dragon's Birch. Good move. That's the that's the, yeah three year contract apparently. Um, not confirmed obviously yeah. yet, but um, uh, that's the talk in France. He could anyway. be a good signing for them. Huge signing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Sam Davies is very good, um, but he probably doesn't have any competition. And uh, to have like two top end tens, like when you're when your team. Don't have the maybe resources you need to have your halfbacks, and they've you know they've Roger Williams, they've Tavis Noyle, um, they have an Argentine international at nine, um, I can't remember his name at the moment, but uh, there's uh, and then you would have Sam and JJ if it happens, um, Jamie Roberts, you know, at 12, uh, Jonah Holmes is playing great stuff, Jordan Williams, so they like they're starting to to get together a, a good roster, um. And yeah, that's that's the rumor anyway in France. It's obviously hasn't been confirmed by either team yet, but certainly that's yeah, the talk. it'd be a cool one. Um, on the salary cap cap, I suppose like they're not. It's it's not a comparable model because the French and Premiership clubs are like privately owned clubs, and everyone else in the URC, like Wales and Ireland, it's it's union run, 
And as Bert says, it's it's across a number of countries <clears throat> making it really difficult. I just see, especially if you're trying to bring Leinster back to the to the chasing pack, it's just going to devalue the entire league. Like imagine Ringrose, Henshaw, Lowe, I'm trying to think who else, James Ryan, Andrew Porter all heading off to France. <clears throat> Suddenly the URC is a lot worse off in, as, a, as a competition. So I think if you were going to do it, you'd need to have that salary cap closer to where the leaders are at the moment and try and get the rest catching that. Even if you look at France, say, the, the salary cap, um, the big clubs are obviously very, very like right at the limit. But then you have the likes of Breve, say, right down the bottom of the pile and, and trying to catch and trying to be clever within their budget as well. So I think it would be wrong to see it as almost punishing Leinster for the quality of player they're producing. And absolutely, they have massive advantages in terms of the the natural resource there, I suppose, the players who are coming out of the school system who then advance on to IRFU contracts, quite a few of them, and therefore free up more space for Leinster to contract uh, stronger kind of squad players as well. And, and that just repeats itself. So yeah, I have some sympathy, I suppose, for the likes of the Dragons, but I'd look at it from the point of view, like the IRFU have got this side of it right, Leinster have got this side of it right, so the the pressure is on others to, to kind of match up to that, I suppose. Yeah, just, um, yeah, I'm not against salary caps. Um, and, and actually, in fairness, now I'm thinking back about David's interview, he didn't say what the cap needed to be, but I think we were all assuming it was, it was more lower than, than higher. But uh, yeah, if the salary cap was, was 11 million or 10 million um, and everybody was striving to get towards that, I, I don't see a massive issue with that. And it could help you know control um, control the game. And it doesn't stop the French clubs, the cap being quite high. Um, but I, I think it's brilliant. I mean, uh, the owner of Newcastle Falcons was on that the call. Seymour Cudi, uh, Kudai, um, Ellis Genge was on it. The, the, just David obviously being on it, being out there talking about their views, their vision, um, what's holding them back. I mean, you know, Seymour obviously uh, from a Falcons point of view was 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 part of the whole capping brought down in in the in the Premiership. I, I think. You know, Ellis Ellis Genge was 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 probing, asking questions from a player's point of view, but you know he didn't have all the the information. Um, but how is he going to get the information? Because we we don't really have enough people stakeholders in the game who are out there. And like I said, like I think having people like David are needed in rugby. People like Rock Nation have a chance of actually improving it. Um, and don't I wouldn't shout them down just because they're they're coming up with ideas uh, and I think the more ideas we have um, you know the more discussion we have and hopefully we will move things on faster because you know they're talking about like a, a 25 year plan for, for, for rugby um, and obviously that's great but you know what are we going to do next year that's going to get us there as quick as possible or make that chance of getting there uh, more realistic uh, We have been speaking about Leinster in a little bit of detail for the first time in what feels like an eternity they do hopefully have a game on this weekend and it's difficult to look ahead to it, Murray, in the sense that we just haven't seen them seen them play in so long. But I don't know. In imagination land in imagination land if Leinster are close to their best, should they get the job done against Montpellier, who uh have had their preparations a little bit interfered with by COVID. Yeah, they should have enough quality at home. Montpellier's outbreak caused their postponement of a of the Toulouse game last weekend as far as we know it was their front rows so I don't think it was massively spread around the squad um, from what I'm reading in, in France anyway um, and so they'll have plenty of quality I wonder yeah I wonder about travelling away after that kind of disruption about their top 14 campaign being absolutely pivotal to them after a disappointing season last season um, but just the, the motivation levels in Leinster are going to be really high of course it's not going to be perfectly rust free but there's a lot of guys there who are really in urgent need of getting back up to speed six nations around the corner someone like johnny sex and jack conan they haven't played since the november tests others have had very little game time and from leinster's point of view as well it's about getting some of their famous momentum and and flow into their game i suppose it's been a little bit stop start in terms of their performances even when they were playing and hugely stop start due to to covid so all around just welcome to get back on the pitch and I would be surprised if they didn't uh, return with a win yeah I just hope we have 80 minutes of Leinster rugby to talk about uh, well yourself and Owen on Monday and us as well next week Birch quickly before we chat about Connacht Leicester I don't know what would concern you about Montpellier this weekend given their own disruption in the build-up is there much like it, sh- it just feels to me in my bones like it should be 
a, a, not a hammering, but a comprehensive Leinster win. Yeah, I think Leinster will get the job done, but I think it's great. If, if Montpellier come with, with their heads on, it's an ideal opponent for Leinster because it's the type of opponent that they've tended to to struggle with. They're an absolute massive team. Um, you know, they're 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 well organized and they they're capable of of, of putting in a big performance. So I think it's it's a tough first game back for Leinster, but um, yeah, I'd imagine they'll get a job done. But I think it'll be they'll find weakness in their game that finding them now uh, could help them later Just on. Just on the twenty eight nil defeat that there was that was handed to them uh, by officialdom. Is that something that you just internalize as a player and kind of use as motivation that way? Or is it something that, like, it doesn't feel like something that Leo Cullen or Stuart Lancaster would bring up out loud, if you know what I mean, in the group? Uh, but maybe they do. I don't know. You'd have a better idea. Yeah, I look, I think they'll talk about how they're behind the eight ball a little bit now on it. But, um, I mean, the players won't be, the players will just be concerned about putting, getting themselves back ready to play Montpellier. They're still more than enough opportunity to qualify um, and it's just done you know it, it's Mick Dawson and the the, the legal team or whatever who will argue the case but no they they won't they'll talk about it in terms of the pressure it puts them under to to be you know on point this weekend Murray Connick Leicester that has the makings of uh, a classic actually and uh, listen Connick need to win it they're at home we've seen him do it before Leicester in unbelievable form uh, which way do you see it going? Ooh, it's a tough call. I, I kind of side towards Connacht, to be honest. It's the game I'm most excited about, I think, this weekend, given how, bar the scrum last time over in Welford Road, Connacht were very much in the mix. We've just seen um, Leicester lose for the first time, obviously, this season against Wasps last weekend, so they're not completely in- infallible. And I think Connacht have the weapons to cause problems. Last time, they were extremely patient with their kicking game, which you have to be against Leicester who are ultra patient in theirs and ultra happy to wait for you to to fall out of your 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 shape and give them an opportunity in, in the midst of that kind of kick exchange. So Connick were really great with that last time, but sprinkling in a few more of their, you know, attacking traits and qualities and ability to break defenses can make it an even more irresistible product I think so I'm fascinated to see if they're really at that level they've been excellent as we've spoken about we've given them plenty of praise and I don't know I kind of have a little sense that they're going to notch a, a big kind of landmark win here Do you share that hunch Birch? Yeah no I think it'll be a, this is a game that don't watch the highlights watch the full game but uh, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm looking forward to it um, we have to I suppose mention the fact that Leicester had rotated a little bit for that home game I mean you know Freddie Burns played didn't have a a very good game I'd imagine George Ford will play this weekend they'll go fully loaded from the start the worry for me is the scrum Um, and in fairness to Bortwick um, Lionel Maul is very good as well Uh, I think Connacht will play I just think Leicester I know they lost last minute to Wasp or lost against Wasp but um, I think maybe they're just where they're very strong is, is where Connacht potentially um, are really missing Buckley and, and maybe lacking a little bit of that depth in the front five. So um, I think Leicester will just sneak it. Split down the middle. We're going to see what happens over the weekend. Come here, thanks a million to all of you guys at home for tuning in, uh, including the YouTube guys. I, I, I apologise. I was only taking the piss at the start. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you have questions or anything like that for next week's show, fire them in. You can get us on email, Twitter, whatever you like, or drop it into the comment section on YouTube or wherever you can reach us, really. We'll, um, we read them all and we try to use as many of them as we can fit into a show. So thank you again. Uh, members.the42.ie, have a look there. It's five euro a month or 42 euro for the year to sign up. You get access to Murray and Owen's Rugby Weekly Extra every Monday in which they forensically look back on the weekend's action. And there's loads more. Just uh, take a peek and see what you think. We'll be back on Thursday, this day next week. Mind yourselves in the meantime. Take it easy. Hello.